Well, we want to talk today about sometimes I don't trust God. Sometimes I simply don't trust God. There's a truth that this is based on, and the truth is, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't see God's hand in your life, trust his heart. It seems that in life, you are either coming out of a difficult season, in the middle of a difficult season, or about to go into a difficult season. That may not be particularly encouraging, but I have to admit it seems to be true. Fact is, life is difficult. Even when we are not in a rough season, it seems like there are often others close to us who are. And each of us know someone, a family member, a friend, someone we work with or work for, who is going through a rough season. Maybe that's you. Fact is, life is tough. If you or someone you care about isn't facing some real challenges right now, you should probably pause to enjoy it while you can and to thank God because just around the corner is the next challenge. When life gets tough, and we know it will, how we respond can either build our faith and draw us closer to Jesus or weaken our intimacy with him as we slide in the wrong direction. I was speaking the other day to someone who once was a believer, an active church attender who no longer would classify herself as a believer and certainly not a member of any church. When she started going through the fire in her life, she questioned why God would allow this to happen to her and where was he in the midst of the turmoil. She eventually reached a point in her life where she decided that she could no longer worship a God that she could not trust. And that's what I want to talk about. This is the question each of us will have to answer one day, and it's one of life's biggest questions, biggest decisions. Will we trust that God is good, even when life is not? Will we trust that God is good, even when life is not? Because sometimes it is difficult to trust God. Our response to pain and life's challenges determine so much about our future. If we decide to trust, we will grow in our faith, deepen our intimacy with God, be conformed to the image of Jesus. If we allow our hearts to drift, we will wake up one day drowning in doubts. We will be buried under burdens, feeling far from the only one who can help us to heal and to deal with the difficulties. The way we respond to challenges and difficulties determines the stories we will tell one day. Your decision to trust God in life's storms may be one of the best ongoing choices you can ever make. And as a Christian leader, I would suggest that one of the most important challenges people face may also be one of the least talked about in churches today, and that's the challenge of doubt. Many sincere Christians battle spiritual doubts at one time or another, but few people feel comfortable talking about it with other believers. It's almost as if having doubts and questions is a sign of weakness, a lack of faith, or a lack of commitment to following Jesus. 
where in reality the truth is doubts are all part of the journey with Jesus. When I was saved, there was a saying that many of us would glibly mouth off. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. But that, not, that is not most people's experience in life, in the journey of faith. And it's not my experience either. It's not as settled as we think at times. For every person who has a genuine rock-solid faith, I know ten more who are naturally skeptical. They are often thoughtful, intelligent, analytical people who want to trust God with everything in their lives. It's just that they need to settle a few issues before they can. They have some doubts. And the truth is, honest skepticism and having doubts is not a bad thing. Here is what most believers do. They have a tough spot in life, a storm arises, and as they struggle through it, they begin to wonder if God really cares about them and what they are experiencing. They begin to doubt, and that's okay. And doubt leads them to questions. Questions are good. Questions like, does God really care? Does God love me? If God loves me and if God cares, then where is he at this desperate time in my life? If he's all-powerful, let's see him. Heal me. Deliver me. Help me. Change the circumstances. Raise the dead. Heal the family member. Intervene in the issue I'm facing. We want, in difficult times, to see some tangible evidence that what we have been taught and what we are believing about God and his involvement in our life is actually true, more than true, that it actually works. And when that does not happen as we expect it to, when proof seems absent, when he does not do what we ask, when he does not do what we demand of him, then doubt creeps in. And as good believers, we know we should not doubt. We should simply believe and trust. And we bury the doubt and don't deal with it. And the only problem with that is the doubt does not stay buried. So that leads me to today's topic. Sometimes I simply don't trust God. You want to trust God completely, but you can't because you doubt. Doubt is an absence of trust, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. Some people might doubt God's very existence. Others believe he's likely real, but just not very involved in our everyday lives. Some might not trust his goodness, arguing that if God were truly good, then he wouldn't allow so much evil and suffering in the world, so they have doubts. Some might not pray often or ever, doubting that their prayers make any difference at all. I mean, really, is God there? Is he good? Is he real? Is he really involved? Does he really care? As a result, some people argue that if you have any type of doubt, then you don't have strong faith. Truth. I would suggest that we look at it from a different angle. You might not have strong faith unless you push through some honest doubts. Let me repeat that truth. You may not, you might not have strong faith unless you learn to push through honest doubts.
The truth is, in order to decide to trust, you have to let yourself doubt. Many people struggle to trust God because they want a logical, rational approach to life and to God. They're looking for something scientific, verifi verifiable, consistent, that can support their faith. But by its very nature, faith requires trust in something or trust in someone. That's not always predictable or understandable by human standards. Almost everyone desires to have irrefutable proof of God's benevolent presence in their lives. Wanting proof is nothing new, but not receiving that proof can and does lead to doubt. Even those who don't know much about their Bible have heard of Doubting Thomas. It's interesting to me that there are only 12 verses in Scripture that mention Thomas, and yet he has been labeled for centuries as one of the world's biggest doubters, when in reality that was only a very small part of his story. The rest of Thomas' story gives us hardcore evidence that great doubters, like Thomas, can become people of great faith. After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, Thomas doubted it was true, and he said he wouldn't believe it unless he saw proof of it. And instead of getting mad at him and casting him aside for his lack of faith, Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to come through his doubt and believe. We're reading from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve and doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Perhaps this story is so famous and well-known because we can all relate to Thomas's doubt and his longing for certainty. You don't understand everything about God. I mean, some things in your life aren't adding up, and you have questions that need answering, like Thomas. And as a result, you have lingering doubts and some spiritual reservations. In other words, you believe in God, but you just don't trust Him completely, and sometimes I don't trust God. You're committed to following Jesus, yet you still hold back some part of yourself, wondering whether God really has all of your best interests at heart. The secret to Thomas's turnaround, as he became a great man of faith, was that he learned the difference between believing in and believing. Thomas believed in Jesus, but once he touched his Lord, 
once he had his questions answered, once the tension in his life was resolved, Thomas no longer just believed in Jesus, he believed Jesus. He believed his words, his teachings, his commandments, and he believed he was God, my Lord and my God. This one-time doubter became one of the most faith-filled believers. Thomas was so convinced that Jesus had risen that he left his comfortable surroundings and traveled all the way to India to tell people about Jesus. He's known as the first evangelist or apostle to take the gospel to this part of the world and share it boldly. And when opponents of Christ threatened his life if he didn't renounce his faith, Thomas stood firm and did not doubt. As a result, the Christ-haters drove a spear through his body, turning him into a faithful martyr of the gospel. Doubting Thomas became trusting Thomas. And his life teaches us that doubt is not the end of real faith, but often the beginning. His life teaches us that doubt is not the end of real faith, but often the beginning. Thomas trusted Jesus enough to die for him. My question would be, do you trust him enough to live for him? When we hit the storms in life and things are not going the way we planned or the way we need them to go, we need, the need we have at that time is to know that someone cares. We don't need to know someone to fix the problem because most times we already know what we have to do. We just want someone to listen so we know that they care about us. We need to know that in the midst of the pain and the confusion, we matter to someone. We need to believe that our pain matters to God. And this is certainly evident in the way the disciples responded whenever doubts and troubles came their way. So let's pick that concept up in the story of Jesus calming the storm. The story of Jesus calming the storm is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, are you doubting? Are they? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Did you note in the middle there, teacher, do you not care? Everyone in the midst of a doubt or a concern, everyone in the midst of a personal storm in their lives, needs to know that God cares. In other words, I'm trying to trust you, God, but our lives are in danger and you don't even seem to notice. Here I've devoted my entire life to following you around trying to learn to do things your way, yet you don't seem to understand me at all and simply don't seem to care that we're drowning. I was communicating with a lady doctor last week in this country of Kazakhstan, 
and in part of the communication she wrote to me, but I say frankly, my faith is getting less and weak, but God is still silent on my personal life. Still no husband, no future as a woman in this country. It does disturb me a lot from inside. My heart is almost broken. And during the pandemic, it became worse due to isolation and many restrictions. She's asking, can I really trust God? Does God really care? And after the disciples expressed their fear and their lack of trust, Jesus got up and did something he often did. He performed a miracle. He rebuked the wind and the waves, told the raging storm to be quiet and still, and everything was instantly calm again. And then Jesus turned his attention to his disciples and asked one of the most important questions he could ever ask. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Another way to say that is, do you not trust me? Really? Don't you know me by now? Do you really think I'd let anything happen to you out there? I wonder how many times Jesus might want to ask us something similar. Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt my goodness? Why do you try to do everything yourself? Why don't you trust me? So many people think that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have trouble. If you are a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't experience trials and storms. However, that is dead wrong, because Jesus promised just the opposite. In John 16:33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. But thank God, he didn't end the scripture there. He said, But take heart, I have overcome the world. If... It is true that God loves us so much, why would he ever allow things to become so difficult for us? I don't know. I can't completely answer that question. But I do know this. When things are good, people tend to forget about God. I hate to admit it, but that can be very true for me. When everyone is healthy, when there is money in the bank, when all my relationships are moving smoothly, it is easy to start doing life in my own strength, letting my awareness that I need him fade. But the moment life throws us a curveball, God is often the first one we turn to for help. So I do know that in the midst of the trouble, God gets our attention. It's easy to ignore God when life is good, but he sure seems appealing in the middle of a storm. Jonah knew a thing or two about that. He rebelled against what God had told him to do, and he made a run for it in the opposite direction. And through a series of unusual events, Jonah's actions caught up with him at sea. He was thrown overboard, swallowed by an enormous fish, and Jonah himself described the life-altering incident this way. Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 and 7. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Notice when Jonah remembered God. It was during his distress, during the storm in his life. I personally can't think of many people who remember God during their success, but I know plenty who do during their distress. 
When you're drowning, you need a life preserver. When there's a storm, you need shelter. When you're hurting, you need a comforter. God allows storms in our lives for a variety of reasons, and one of them is to draw us closer to Him. To trust God regardless of your circumstances, remember two things when you're caught in a storm. So two things to remember when you're caught in a storm. Number one, God's presence is with you, no matter how alone or ignored you may feel. God's presence is with you, no matter how alone or ignored you may feel. He's always with you. Mark wrote regarding the same incident of the boat and the storm. In his gospel, he wrote, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. That's Mark 4.37. You have to notice that this was not a spring shower. It was almost too much for the small boat and the frightened disciples to handle. And even though the circumstances seemed too much to bear, the disciples were not alone. And that's my point. God's presence is with you, no matter how alone or ignored you may feel. Mark states in Mark 4, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Again, so many people think that they wouldn't be going through their struggle if God were really with them. But that's simply not the case. Having Jesus in the stern beside you doesn't mean the storm won't rock your boat. It just means the storm won't sink your boat. Never forget, he is with you, both in the spring showers and in the worst tornado imaginable. It has been proven that the simple presence of anyone living may help you to live longer. The presence of a spouse, a child, a roommate, a dog, a bird, a rabbit, a hamster, a fish, a ferret, and certain kinds of cats. The good news is that you don't have to depend on a pet or a household plant. You have the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Hosts, and the Divine Counselor who will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as Jesus was with the disciples in the boat, he is with you in whatever storm you may be facing. And because he's always good, always good, you can trust him. And truth number two, not only is God with you in the storms, he will also use them for his purposes in your life. Not only is God with you in the storm, he will also use the storms for his purpose in your life. No matter how terrible it may seem in the moment, God always has a higher plan and a good purpose because he loves you more than you can imagine. Think about the story of the disciples in the boat and the storm coming at them without warning. Who decided to take that boat ride? It was Jesus. After teaching, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Why did he plan this short trip? Because he knew that on the east side of the lake there was a man in need. So he loaded up the disciples and started the journey to go help the suffering person. Don't miss this. The disciples didn't experience the storm because they were out of God's will. The disciples experienced the storm because they were in God's will. Now you might be asking, did God cause the storm or just allow them? That's a great question and a fair one. You might ask that about some area of your life or about someone you care about. Did God cause me to lose my job? 
Did God cause me to get depressed? Did God cause this bad thing to happen? We need to be honest and admit that brilliant and sincere Christians passionately debate this question all the time. Does God cause everything to happen, or does God simply allow some things to happen? Some say that God never causes anything bad to happen because God is a good God and they suggest that he only causes good things. And all bad things come from our evil opposition, the devil. Others argue that God is so big and sovereign that he rules the whole universe and causes everything that happens on earth and in heaven. Honestly, I don't know the answer. I'm not God. I can't tell you whether God causes storms or just allows them. But one thing you can count on is this. God always uses the storm. When we love him and we're pursuing his purposes, he is always working things out for our good, even the storm. That's Romans 8.28. When we recognize this truth, we can decide ahead of time that no matter what happens, no matter what life throws at us, we will trust God. If you know that God is always with you, and if you know that he uses everything for your good, why are you doubting? Why are you afraid? Just trust him. Well, let's pull one more really important truth from this story of the disciples, the boat, and the storm. Maybe you've heard well-meaning people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. While that sounds good, and it might feel right, nowhere in the Bible does it ever actually say that. I'm almost certain that most people are misquoting 1 Corinthians 10.13 when they say that verse. That verse reads, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful that he not, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So clearly we see that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle with his help, with his grace. But scripture never says that God won't give you more than you can handle. I would argue the opposite. God often allows us to experience more than you can handle to teach you to trust and depend on Him. Remember, sometimes I simply don't trust God. The Apostle Paul learned this valuable lesson and recorded his findings in 2 Corinthians. We are not sure exactly what Paul's ailment was, but Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Scholars have theorized for centuries about the possibilities for the pain, but the best we can do is guess. What we know is that Paul pleaded faithfully with God multiple times to take the pain away, yet God never did. If ever there was a person who was worthy of this type of miracle, I think it was certainly Paul. He suffered immensely for the gospel, way more than most of us could ever imagine or endure. He had boundless faith in God, and he prayed with all of his heart. If God was going to answer anyone's prayer with a miracle, it seems like this one should be the top candidate. Yet God allowed Paul to continue living with that thorn, whatever it was, something that seemed like it was more than he could handle. Paul, rather than allowing this challenge to turn him away from God, decided instead 
to trust God and let it draw him closer to God. So in the middle of Paul's pain, God spoke to him and offered him this promise. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God promised that his grace was enough. God didn't, sorry, Paul didn't need God to remove his problem. God's presence was all Paul needed. So don't believe the lie that God won't give you more than you can handle. If you decide to start something new, chances are <clears throat> it's going to be more than you can handle. When God prompts you to start something new, he will provide you with enough grace to handle what you can't handle by yourself on your own. When he leads you to stop something you have done for years, it likely will be more than you can do on your own. So just admit it and ask him for help. And when you are weak, he will be strong. Never be afraid to move forward through a challenge, a trial, or a storm, because it feels like it's more than you can handle. You may be tempted to think, I need to suck it up, I need to be strong. But the truth is, it's okay to be weak, because in your weakness, his strength will be all you need. Whenever you face a storm, a struggle, some unexpected trial, just remember God will occasionally allow you to have more than you can handle. The storm will seem like it's about to swamp your boat. Don't put your hope in the boat. Like David, we need to say, my soul hopes in the Lord.